today. Would you bring the lights down a little bit? And let's see why it's a special day. Uh, and will we bring the sound up, please? Okay, we can't hardly hear it. Acknowledge you, recognize you.
Thank you very much for your service. It's because of your service and the service of others like you that we're able to have this service and have it in, uh, in freedom to our God. Yeah. Uh, today we're going to be finishing up on humility. The, uh, not quite finishing up on the fruit of the Spirit just yet. We've, we've still got one more to go after this one. But uh, we spent two weeks on this one, and, and for good reason. Would you stand with me? We're going to read. We're going to not read a passage that you probably already have memorized, so we don't have to read it. But uh, we're going to read another passage together here from Philippians. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves. Do not looking to your own interest, but each of you to the interest of the others. In your relationships with one another, have the same attitude of mind Christ Jesus had, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Father, I thank you for your word. I thank you for the power of your word. I thank you for the life that's in it. I thank you for Jesus. And that you've sent him for our benefit. And I pray, Lord God, that as you transform us into his image, that you would give us the anointing and the power of the Holy Spirit to realize what that image is. In Jesus' name, amen. You may be seated. Last week we looked at uh, seven facts about humility because I felt like humility is such a misunderstood um, virtue in our culture, in our society, that we needed some information about it. Let me just briefly go over that for those of you who weren't here and for those of you who were here and don't remember. Dignity presuppo- I mean, uh, humility presupposes your dignity because it's the process of someone lowering themselves. And so if you lower yourself, you have to start out. You can't start out at the bottom and then lower yourself. You have to start out with some dignity. Uh, humility is social it is not something you can do by yourself because it's not about how you think about you which is one of the things that we tend to to believe humility is about it's it's my concept of myself no it's not about how you think about you it's how you treat others how you interact with others what you will do for others so it's a social act humility is logical because you don't know everything (laughs) 
Just, just, just going to let that soak in for just a moment. We <laughs> marinate in that one. Yeah, Sila, there's clearly stuff you don't know. You need others. Humility makes sense. Humility is beautiful. We are attracted to humility. We're attracted to, to people who truly are humble because they care about others. And it's a beautiful thing when they do. We are repelled by the arrogant. We're, we're, we're repelled by that, that pride that brings about arrogance, and it's, it's the flip side. It's the, other, it's the opposite of humility. Humility allows us to excel. If we don't have humility, we think we've already arrived. I mean, you don't need to excel if you're already the best. But when you have humility, you understand there's always another step to take. There's always something else to learn. Humility allows us to influence because it's those people in your life who cared about you more than they cared about themselves, and you knew that. They're the ones you'll listen to. They're the ones who have influence in your life that can speak into your life. And the same thing works on the other side. If you'll care about others more than you care about you, then you'll be able to influence them as well. They'll listen to you. And then finally, humility allows us to enjoy because without humility... It's just such a drag when somebody else does something great. But with humility, you can enjoy when somebody else does something great or when, they, or when somebody else does something okay, even. You can, in, you can enjoy it. So that's, what we, that's a brief rundown of what we looked at last week. The world did not always have a favorable impression of humility. Bring the lights down again. Keep the sound up. Brief clip. All that God Kinsersis requires is this, a simple offering of earth and water, a token of Sparta's submission to the will of Xerxes. Submission. Now that's a bit of a problem. See, rumor has it the Athenians have already turned you down. We must be diplomatic. And of course, Spartans have the reputation to consider. Choose your next words carefully, Leonidas. They may be your last as king. Madman. You're a madman. Earth and water. But you'll find plenty of both down there. No man. Persian or Greek, no man threatens a messenger. You bring the crowns and heads of conquered kings to my city steps. You insult my queen. You threaten my people with slavery and death. Oh, I've chosen my words carefully, Persian. Perhaps you should have done the same. This is blasphemy. This is madness. This is Sparta! For millenniums, what mattered the most above everything else was honor, public honor versus public shame. The worst thing that could possibly happen to anybody was public shame. The best thing that could happen to somebody was public honor. Aristotle said honor and reputation are among the pleasantest things. Through each person's imagining that he has the qualities of an important person, and all the more so when others say so. Isn't that nice? 
And the culture into which Jesus came was definitely an honor-shame culture. Submission, that's a problem. We have our reputation to consider. That was the kind of culture that he came into. And if you look at, 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 at the ancient world and ancient documents, that was basically the only kind of culture that there was. And, and it's still the predominant culture in a lot of places in this world and unfortunately becoming more predominant maybe even in our own. Uh, there was only one ancient document that really had anything positive whatsoever to say about humility. Anybody care to take a wild guess what that one would have been? Yeah, like maybe the Old Testament. Yeah. Just, uh, just a few examples from the Old Testament because there, there are dozens, if not scores. But Exodus 12, 3. Now Moses was a very humble man, more humble than anyone else on the face of the earth. Moses, the, the greatest leader that God had raised up, was the most humble man on the face of the earth, what the scripture says here. Now, uh, I know a number of you are aware that I've pointed out several times that Moses wrote those words, but <laughs> the Holy Spirit inspired him to write those words, and what are you going to do when the Holy Spirit tells you to do something, you know? You're going to be humble and do it. That's right. <laughs> so there it is. 2 Samuel 2.28, you save the humble, but your eyes are on the haughty to bring them low. The God of Israel is somebody who looks to the humble to save them, to rescue them is what, what, the, what the Bible says. And in fact, even more than that, Psalm 149, the psalmist says, for the Lord takes delight in his people, he crowns the humble with victory. The ones who are going to be victorious are the humble. Another word for that is meekness. And Jesus said, they're the ones that are going to inherit the whole earth. Even though the scripture said this, though, it's such a foreign concept to our fallen nature. It, it, is, it so cuts against the grain of what we want to be and where we want to go that, that the Jews just couldn't pick up on it. I mean, it, it doesn't get much clearer than this. But they couldn't pick up on it so that by the time Jesus came, he actually over in, in Matthew chapter 6 had to say, so when you give to the needy, do not announce it with trumpets. Now, why would he have to tell people to not announce it with trumpets? This is going to be a long morning if you guys don't get on board here with me. The, the reason why you'd have to announce, to tell people not to announce it with trumpets is because some people announced it with trumpets. You go, oh, that's metaphorical. No, it's literal. It's literal. Don't announce it with trumpets as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and on the streets to be honored by others. Truly, I tell you, they've received their reward in full. But when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing so that your giving may be in secret then your Father who sees what is done in secret will reward you. He applied the same to praying and to fasting. I mean, the, the idea kind of was if I'm going to fast, then some people need to know about it so that I can be honored for fasting. I'm doing a good thing here. Hey, everybody, look at the good thing I'm doing. And that's what an honor, shame society valued. 
That's what it was all about. Then a revolution took place in the way people would think, a, a humility revolution. And the, the change in, in, in culture in the West was not a slow, gradual one. It took place within the course of a couple of centuries. And we go, <laughs> that, that's not slow and gradual. Well, for us, you know, in, in our lives, maybe that's not slow and gradual. I mean, maybe that is slow and gradual, but in, in terms of God's perspective, in terms of the perspective of the human race, that's pretty quick for that big of a, of a turnaround to take place. Something happened that turned this idea of honor and shame, public honor and shame, completely on its head. Something, something took place that made people think differently about this. And of course, you know where I'm going with this because it was the cross. But the truth of the matter is we, we've domesticated the cross and made it beautiful. And I don't have a problem with you know, with beautiful representations of, of, of the cross. That, that's, there's an artistic truth there. The cross is beautiful. I mean, something incredibly beautiful did happen on it. Uh, and I, I, I know a couple of years ago, I, I, I think um, Connie did a picture of, uh, of, the, on the, uh, G, of Christ on the cross, and he was just this pure white, beautiful what, and to me, that said, is spotless Lamb of God, sinless. You know, there's an artistic truth, an artistic representation there. But going back into terms of the culture, we tend to think about, oh, yeah, man, it must have really hurt. I mean, the pain. Wow, that's, that's, that's amazing to think of what he endured pain-wise for us. Yes, it is. But that wasn't the big deal. The big deal wasn't the pain, it was the shame. Because you see, Jesus was supposed to be someone great. In the eyes of his followers, in fact, he was God. He was supposed to be the greatest person that had ever lived. Worthy of the most honor that anyone could possibly receive. Great teacher miracle worker all of these powerful things that he could do and yet he suffered public humiliation in fact the most disastrous public humili humiliation that could either that could befall anybody that the greatest man his followers had ever known was brought down to the lowest place that the roman world could envision publicly and so either Jesus was not as great as they had first thought he was, his crucifixion being evidence of his insignificance, or the notion of greatness itself needed a redefinition, needed to be rethought, needed to be redefined to fit the facts of his seemingly shameful end. And then Paul comes along and he writes this passage in Philippians. And in the context of the day that he wrote it and in the context of what had happened, it was nothing less than some of the most remarkable words that have ever been penned. Ludicrous, ridiculous, crazy truth. Nothing in between. It had to be one, one or the other. 
And he said, if you belong to Christ, if you found any mercy in Christ, if you have received any comfort in Christ, if you have any encouragement in Christ, if you're joined with Christ, then let me tell you what that means. This is how you should think. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. In humility, value others above yourself, not looking to your own interests, but each to the interest of others. In your relationship with one another, have the same attitude as Christ. Let me ask you a question that I really hadn't thought about till this week, and then I realized, wow, is God humble? Because when we think of God, we don't tend to think humble. I mean, he's God, for crying out loud. Enthroned above the circle of the earth. The one who flung the stars into space and set everything in motion. Humble, and yet, the Bible says he is. Because one of the fruits of the Spirit is humility. And if it's a fruit of the Spirit, then it is an attribute of God. It's a quality of Him. Not only that, this, this Jesus, this Christ, who was publicly humiliated and, and allowed Himself. I mean, we sang it together. You don't take His life away. He lays it down, and he, and he told His disciples very plainly, He says, no man takes my life from me. I lay it down on my own accord. The prince of this world is coming. He has no hold on me. But the world must learn that I love the Father and I do exactly what he tells me to do. That's what he said. And so he unquestionably was humble. And he also said to his disciples, anybody who's seen me has seen him. Seen the Father. And so we should have the same attitude. Be of, be of the same mind. As Christ Jesus, who being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. I'm used to the translation that says, did not consider equality with God something to be grasped. And that's, that's a powerful concept in and of itself. And I've always thought of it in terms of, well, the opposite, really, of Lucifer and what he did, because Lucifer decided that that was something to be grasped. I will exalt myself above the Most High. I, I will sit enthroned, and that's something that I'm going to make myself do. And so Jesus didn't consider that something to be grasped. And, I, and that, that's a good way to look at it, but I love this. Did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Wow. He's getting ready to be crucified. And he tells his disciples, <laughs> you know, I could, I could just speak right now and legions of angels would be put at my disposal if I, if I wanted to be defended. I mean, he's God. Angels do what God says. And, and when you consider that one angel killed 185,000 Assyrian soldiers in one night, a whole legion could really mess things up. Yeah. Yeah. As they came, not to mention legions. So all he had to do was go, I don't want this. I won't do this. He had the authority. He was equal with God. But he did not consider that something to be used for his own advantage. Because had he done so, 
he couldn't have used it for our advantage. Because what he went and did was totally for our advantage. We would have all died that night. Rather, he made himself nothing, taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness. He made himself nothing. Humility presupposes your dignity, presupposes that you've already started out somewhere up here and you have the right to not take the the top seat. You have the right to take the lower seat if you want to do that. And being found in appearance as a human being, he humbled himself, becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. From the highest place to the lowest place. He who ascended above the heavens is also he who ascended to the very depths, to the lowest place. Because he was the only one who could. He was the only one. You know, sometimes it... it, it's cool being a leader in some respects because you can go, um, how about, would you like to do such and such? And, and oftentimes people will go, yeah. Of course, the, the uncool part is when they go, yeah, and then they don't do it, and you think it was done. But anyway, you know, it's kind of cool being a leader, but the truth of the matter is it all ultimately comes down there. There are things as a leader you have to do nobody else has to do. When I was... Growing up when I was a kid, my dad was pastor at Millersville Assembly of God. And I don't know, we, you know we'd, we'd run around 100. So we were a pretty good-sized church at that time. And, uh, but still, I mean, <laughs> you know, about 70 of that 100 were kids. And uh, so we'd, we'd have, have church. And somebody had to get there first to open up the doors and unlock the doors. And somebody had to stay afterwards to shut out the lights and lock the doors and and in the wintertime somebody had to get there real early first to unlock the doors and build the fire in the fireplace and then go back home get his get his wife and and kid who were still snoozing because he was the leader and and he would do that now sometimes he would he would use that other leadership prerogative you see i didn't mind him getting there early especially if he was going to come back and get me. Uh, you know, getting there early with him was a little bit of a pill. The real pill was, was when we, he, he'd be locking everything up and turning all the lights out, and there'd be a light left on somewhere in the back. And he'd go, Ronnie Allen, go back here and turn that light off. And I'd go, you've got to be kidding me. Do you know what kind of things live in the dark? And I'd go back there, and I would turn that light off, and, shoo, you know, I've be out that door i mean elisha outrunning chariots that's no big deal man i can outrun vampires and werewolves and monsters and just i'm gone we had to do that because he was the leader jesus had to do this because he was the only one who could nobody else could be a sinless sacrifice Anybody else on that cross would have to die for their own sins. Anybody else on that cross would have to die for what they had done. He was the only one who could go there and die for what I did. What I was going to do. What I'm going to do tomorrow. He's the only one whose blood could cover all of us. Make us whole. Being found in human appearance. He humbled himself. 
even death on a cross. And I mean, you know, he went all of the way. I don't know about you, but when I, there was a time in my life, and I may still be going through it, I'm not quite sure, but there was a time in my life when if there was a job to be done and it got about three-quarters of the way done, it seemed like that's probably enough. And when I was little, it had to do with mowing grass. I mean, I know people always hire their grass mowed nowadays, but in my, you know, back in those days, we, didn't, we couldn't do that. And, and I just had this magic touch with the lawnmower that after I got about two-thirds to three-quarters of the way through the yard, it broke. <laughs> Don't know what happened to it. Just stopped, and it won't start anymore. And, and, it, and it would just be that way for a week. But, but Christ, there was no point at which he went, is this enough? Is this far enough? Is this enough? No, all the way. All the way. The closest he probably ever came to it was, Father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. But nevertheless, not my will be done, but yours. Therefore, God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. Don't you love this passage? I mean, if you don't love this passage, you don't read the Bible enough. Gave him a name that is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth and every tongue confess or acknowledge or whatever the translation says that Jesus Christ is Lord of the glory of God the Father. In other words, humility has a reward. Who knew? In an honor-shame culture, in an honor-shame society, who knew? That humility and public shame even could bring a reward with it. It's, it's equally striking whenever the writer of Hebrews says, you know, let us, since, since he was crucified outside the city walls, let, let us go out there and share his shame with him. Let, let, let's go do that. Let's go share in his shame publicly. Wow. That was a revolution. That was a total change in thinking. James 4 and 1 Peter 5, we quoted them last week. God opposes the proud. He gives grace to the humble. Therefore, humble yourselves under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Let me give you an application for today. Tolerance versus humility. You know, we, we hear about tolerance. We hear that we should be tolerant. And, and tolerance and tolerate are rarely used in Scripture. And when they are, it's virtually always in a negative sense. Uh, rebuking the, the readers for, for what types of actions they tolerate. The, uh, Revelation 2.20, the church at Thyatira tolerated that wicked woman Jezebel and uh, the church at Colossians was instructed not to tolerate the teaching of those who uh, tried to control their lives with legalism. And the problem with tolerance is this. Tolerance teaches your ideas, your beliefs are as good as mine. I mean, really? That's nonsense. Not everybody's beliefs and ideas are equal. 
Some people believe, maybe not today, but have believed that rotting meat causes maggots. Okay. Looks like it, but it's a dumb idea. It's wrong. Not everybody's beliefs are the same. Adolf Hitler believed strongly. You know, another thing that kind of gets me, sometimes you hear somebody say, well, at least they stand for something. Duh. It's not that you stand for, it's what you stand for. (laughs) You know, Hitler very strongly stood for something. He very strongly stood for the idea that not just the Jews, actually, there was quite a few races that were included in there, should be exterminated to make way for the Aryan race, which interestingly enough, he wasn't necessarily purely a part of, but that was just a, that was just a technicality. Uh, and he also believed that if you disagreed with him, then you should be murdered, and nobody should think anything about it because the people who were the main leaders really had no responsibilities morally and were not subject to any laws. Now, is that concept one that's equal to, say, a man like Abraham Lincoln? You know, we are so muddled these days that I suspect that a bunch of, that a bunch of people are probably sitting out there thinking, well, no, I don't know. Would that be? God help us. And it's not just, you go, well, he's dead. Well, he's dead, but his ideas aren't. People who believe in them aren't. And, and there's other ridiculous stuff out there as well. I mean, you know, in our own country, for crying out loud, who puts signs like that in the hands of little kids? Yeah. Of course it is. Now, here's the thing. Tolerance, tolerance teaches that your ideas are as good as, as mine and your beliefs. G.K. Chesterton says tolerance is the virtue of a man without convictions because if that's all we've got is tolerance, then we, you have to give up your convictions to do that. You have to give up your convictions to be tolerant. Humility, on the other hand, teaches that while the ideas and beliefs of others may be inferior... Their ideas and beliefs may be inferior to mine. They are not inferior to me. Big difference. Huge difference. Humility applied to convictions doesn't mean believing things any less. It means treating those who hold contrary beliefs with respect, friendship. We maintain our convictions but choose never to allow them to become justifications for thinking ourselves better than those who carry contrary convictions. For one thing, there's a possibility that I might actually be wrong about something. I don't know what it is. Because virtually everything that I believe, I'm quite sure is right. And so therefore, the 49ers will win the Super Bowl. Yeah, you know what you know what I'm you feeling me, aren't you? You know what I'm talking about. Possibility is I might actually be wrong about something, and they might actually be right about 
about a few things. There are only four things that I absolutely know for certain. And, you know, when I say four things, I mean I know my name is Ronnie. I know I'm married to Margaret. Okay, but I'm talking about truths. Things that eternally stand forever. There's four things that I know. Jesus is God's son. I know that. You know? And there may be people who don't believe that, but you know what? It, they, the, fact, the fact that they don't believe that doesn't make them any less valuable in God's sight. If it did, we wouldn't spend any money on missions or evangelism. Jesus is God's son, I believe. I know that Jesus died on the cross for us all. I know that that was why he was there. We looked at him and said, wow, anybody dying that shameful of death must have really gotten on the wrong side of God. That's what Isaiah chapter 53 says that we thought, and it is what we were thinking. But the truth of the matter is, he didn't get on the wrong side of God. We got on the wrong side of God. He died on the cross for me. He was wounded for our transgressions. He was bruised for our iniquities. I know that Jesus rose from the dead. Because if he didn't, if he didn't rise from the dead, then our preaching is useless and our, and, our, and our faith has no meaning and we're to be pitied more than anybody else in the whole world. But he did rise from the dead. And I know that each person's worth is derived not from what they believe, but from what Jesus did for them. Listen, their salvation is derived from what they believe, but their worth is derived from what he did for them. Doesn't matter. Even, even, even Hitler, I mean from Judas to Hitler to me, anybody who comes to God and accepts what Christ did for them, God will accept them. You know, God, God isn't going, hey, <laughs> no, I'm sorry, that didn't, it didn't include you, because you're, you're, what you did was so bad that my son's death wasn't strong enough to take care of that. No. And so when we deal with people, you know, we get so tangled up about things and about what somebody's beliefs are and what somebody's thoughts are about certain things that we dehumanize them. They all of a sudden become a political belief or they become a moral belief or they become something else rather than a human being for whom Christ died. And when we do that, part of our humanity leaks out as well. I want to close with a quote from C.S. Lewis that uh, <laughs> in the first service I was talking about the fact that I, uh, okay, the fact that I, I love this quote and I couldn't, couldn't find it and praise God Hal Laughlin found it and he sent it to me so you actually get the whole, you don't get the, the paraphrase. C.S. Lewis, this is from one of his lectures, The Weight of Glory. It says this, it's a serious thing to live in a society of possible gods and goddesses, to remember that the dullest and most uninter uninteresting person you talk to may one day be a creature 
which if you saw it now, would be, you would be strongly tempted to worship, or else a horror and a corruption such as you now meet, if at all, only in a nightmare. All day long, we are in some degree helping each other to one or other of these destinations. It is in the light of these overwhelming possibilities. It is with the awe and the circumspection proper to them that we should conduct all of our dealings with one another, all friendships, all loves, all loyalties, all play, all politics, all rivalries. There are no ordinary people. You have never talked to a mere mortal. Nations, cultures, arts, civilizations, these are mortal, and their life is to ours as the life of a gnat. Where did that come from? But it is immortals whom we joke with, work with, marry, snub, and exploit. Immortal horrors are everlasting splendors. This does not mean that we're to be perpetually solemn. We must play, but our merriment must be of a kind which exists between people who have from the outset taken each other seriously. I, I, hope, I hope that messes you up as much as it does me, because it should. Because then we desire and realize the need that we have for the power of the Holy Spirit to come into our lives and place in us something that makes us capable of taking everything that we are and everything that we have and everything that we are entitled to and using it for the benefit of others. That is humility. Would you stand with me? Those who are going to pray for people, come, come forward. <clears throat> and if you, uh, if you need prayer, you come forward. I, I think there are two things in particular that keep people from receiving the help from God that they need. One of them is pride, because they don't want anybody to think that, oh my goodness, I need prayer about something. And then uh, the other one is discouragement. Uh, lack of faith. You know, I prayed about that before, or it hadn't happened yet, or boy, it sure isn't looking good. If it isn't looking good, that's the time to that's the time to take it to him. These brothers and sisters are here to pray with you, and they every one of them have been in positions. We've all been in positions where we needed we needed God to really come through. And he has. And he has. If you need prayer, you come. If not, then worship with us. We're going to worship for a few moments and give you time to come. Use that, use that breath that God gave you today and that voice that he gave you to worship him and create an atmosphere that will help others. Give myself away so you can use me. I give myself away. Oh my Lord. 
yourself away. Give myself away so you can use me. Give myself away. It's the only way that he can use us. To give ourselves away. Raise your hand. Let me give you a blessing. And the God and Father of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, who sent his Son into the world because we needed him, who has commissioned and sent you into the world because there are those who need you, may he give you the grace to humble yourself for the benefit of others and may you know the reward and the glory of those who willingly do so through Jesus Christ our Lord Amen